0: what up world it's your past first point guard and blazer beat writer mike Richmond. you're listening to another episode of locked on blazers part of the lockdown podcast network available wherever you get podcasts it is late august which means that the content well is running dry dear listeners but for you i will find three segments worth of stuff to talk about because that's how we do it here on lockdown blazers if this is your first one what a weird time to join but i'm happy to have you We're going to start with talking ESPN projections. They released uh, some what they call expert projections. The people that cover the NBA voted on where they think teams will finish in the crowded Western Conference. Talk a little bit about, in that same first segment, Kevin Pelton, numbers guru, RPM genius, and Northwest resident. His projections for the Western Conference that are a little bit different than his colleagues. Uh, Second segment, we'll talk a little about some news. A very minor Zach Collins update, courtesy of our good friend Jason Quick. And finally, in Segment 3, we will feed the beast and talk about Carmelo Anthony, who is somehow still in the news, despite not having played a game since Christmas of last year. But let us start with the Four Letter Network's wonderful, wonderful Western Conference projections. They actually release projections for a variety of things, both conferences, both championships, or excuse me, who will win the championship, who will get to the the finals in each conference. But let's start with the Blazers' relevant ones, because this here is a Blazers podcast ostensibly and authentically. According to ESPN, the Denver Nuggets, according to the ESPN's panel, I should say, the Denver Nuggets were picked to finish with the top record in the Western Conference at 54 wins, just ahead of the Clippers, who are also 54 wins, but by the way that their scoring system works, the Nuggets got the nod, Houston Rockets in third, Utah Jazz in fourth, Lakers in 5th, Warriors in 6th, Portland Trail Blazers are 7th with 47 wins. We'll revisit that more extensively here in a minute, but Spurs 8th, 43 wins, just out of the playoffs, Dallas ninth at 40 with 41, at 41 and 41, New Orleans 40 and 42, T-Wolves 11, Kings 12th, Thunder 13th, Phoenix Suns 14th and Memphis Grizzlies the last place team in the West. So if you listen to these podcasts before, I don't really like to sort of pick apart these standings and say that there is some national media conspiracy against a uh, team located in the Pacific Northwest that plays games late at night where East coast viewers have trouble staying up on the various weekdays and maybe even weekends when the Blazers play at 10 PM East coast time. I don't think that's the case. I think what is the case, generally speaking, is that the West is really tough. And perhaps some narrative-type things have caused the kind of of middle-of-the-road Western Conference teams, um, even though the Blazers finished third the last couple years, I think they're still viewed as kind of like not a top-tier championship-level team, but a middle-of-the-road type team. Like a, a, a good Western Conference playoff team, the sort of the teams in that tier, some narrative stuff has allowed the other teams to jump ahead of them. The Nuggets were, you know, everybody's favorite uh, sort of league pass team last year with an MVP candidate, Nikola Jokic. And they added Jeremy Grant. They made a quiet move that people really liked. Uh, the Utah Jazz are just have like caught the media intelligentsia's. They've, they've caught that wind, and, and their, their sales, sales are full with, um, with the sort of media hype. Uh, the Jazz have been a very good team for the last two seasons. Uh, they made some nice moves. Adding Mike Conley is probably a serious upgrade. Adding Boyan Bogdanovich is probably a serious upgrade, even though they sacrificed maybe a little bit of depth to make those two moves. They added Ed Davis, a, a key part in teams that overachieve. And they, if you're into numbers, they are a team that has had a point differential better than their record the last couple years. You know, so a team that people think is good adds a player that people generally think is good. And this is kind of the thing that happens. So the Jazz and Nuggets have like sort of stayed up where the Blazers, um, maybe just haven't caught that same narrative swell. Uh, Hassan Whiteside is on the outside of the narrative. The other moves that the Blazers have made, adding Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood, aren't the type of sexy moves that um, you add to your starting group or you add to your top of your rotation, and people point to and say they can be really good. But I also don't think these predictions are wholly unfair you know if these if these predictions are off by two wins and the blazers win 49 games and jump up to fifth did espn get it wholly wrong like i i don't know if that's if that's wrong and i and and further i've said this a bunch i think the west has more better teams this year i don't I think maybe the Blazers deserve some benefit of the doubt, and I'll get to this in a little bit to close out this segment. But the idea that they're like a forty seven to fifty win team is totally fair, and that's where these rankings have them pegged at the low end of that bracket. They just have some other teams they like more. The Clippers obviously made a big splash. The Rockets were a good team that brings back most of that core and added traded out Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul. The Lakers added Anthony Davis. The Golden State Warriors still exist. I mean, there's just the teams in front of them. There's not too many legitimate gripes. Although, if the Blazers quote-unquote overachieve and finish, you know, third in the West again this year, um, maybe you can point back to this podcast and say, "Mike, ESPN was wrong, and you should have come down on them with the hammer." It's not really my style. My style is to think about why. And I think, uh, transitioning to Kevin Pelton's rankings, that relies heavily on real plus-minus. Um, he's the ESPN statistician. I mean, I, I guess that's not his only role, but he is, as he likes to say, using numbers to learn more about the game. But his, his, his numbers, um, I think, offer more, a better glimpse of why teams might finish, or he thinks teams might finish where they'll finish. And the why, to me, is much more interesting. So here's Pelton's rankings real quick. These are buried behind a paywall at ESPN. So if you don't have ESPN Plus, you'll have to get them here. He has the Rockets finishing in first with just shy of 54 wins. The Nuggets second, Clippers third, Jazz fourth, Lakers fifth, Warriors sixth. And then here's where they differ. His model really likes the Dallas Mavericks to hop up to seventh at 43 wins. And his model might not like the Blazers nearly as much. And I think he explains it well. His model has the Blazers projected for 40.6 wins. Last year, they were pegged for 40.7 wins by the same model. Of course, the Blazers won 53 games, finished third in the West, and made the Western Conference Finals. But as Pelton points out, and I'll read his little blurb, and then I'll I'll spend a, a small amount of time on it before we transition out of projections. Pelton writes, A modest RPM this real plus-minus projection is nothing new for the Blazers, who were pegged for 41.7 wins last season before actually winning 53 games en route to the Conference Finals. Portland coach Terry Stotts has consistently shown the ability to get young players to exceed their projections, and second-year guard Anthony Simons could be next in that lineage. And I think this is kind of the special sauce to the Blazers' success, is that while the models say and there's probably tons of real data to back this up, that Hassan Whiteside is a significant step down from Yusuf Nurkic. That the defensive drop-off that Rodney Hood brings on the wing compared to Mo Harkless and Alfredo Camino is real and tangible. The Blazers are betting, and and they've done this over and over again, that their system gets the most out of guys who maybe haven't done it other places. You know, Rodney Hood has been inconsistent and hasn't showed a super well-rounded game. The Blazers are betting they can round out his game and get him to be more efficient, more more consistently. The Blazers are betting that Hassan Whiteside, in this situation will be better than he has been. And the Blazers are betting that 21-year-old Anthony Simons can step in. He's a total unknown, something that likely these RPM projections don't really have a great read on. He didn't play college basketball. He's basically played 120 NBA minutes his, his entire career. They're proje- the Blazers are betting that he is better than any model and that he will be a a real and serious NBA contributor and then and based on that prediction they think they'll jump ahead of or based on their projection they'll jump ahead of any model that says this is a 41 win team they'll jump ahead probably in the Blazers eyes then the models that say they're a 47 win team they bet on themselves and they bet on on, on what they do uh pretty heavily So if you're mad at ESPN's rankings, just know that um, Neil Olshay somewhere is laughing at them too, knowing that, or believing strongly that his team will overachieve. That's my take on the rankings. My take on the rankings is they're fine, and I encourage you to be more curious about why the rankings are what they are than just mad at the raw number they produce. I also encourage you to uh, drop the myth that there's a national media conspiracy against the Blazers. There's just a lot of good teams in the West. I guess many media members believe those teams are slightly better than your Portland Trailblazers. Them's the brakes. All right, second segment, we're talk a little about Zach Collins, uh, some news from Jason Quick about Zach's availability, his health, etc. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Locked On Fantasy Football. If you're a fantasy football player, make sure you're listening to Vinny Iyer and the On Fantasy Football Podcast. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else, then you are the same as everyone else. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and keep you ahead all season long. That's On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Alright, welcome back. It's August and we got news. Or at least, sort of news. Jason Quick of The Athletic wrote um, a pretty interesting feature on Zach Collins, an intriguing feature for me, um, uh, about Zach Collins and his relationship with his dad and kind of um, messages from Zach's dad that have fueled Collins' career to this point and will ring true into the next season. I am not going to read you Jason Quick's story word for word. I'm not even going to summarize it beyond what I've just given you. Subscribe to The Athletic. Read his stuff. He's the best there is at this. But I will pull out some interesting news nuggets from that piece and discuss them here with you. Uh, it was already reported by NBC Sports that Collins had suffered a grade 2 left ankle sprain. I'm not even 100% sure NBC had the, the ankle, which side it was, but that he suffered a pretty severe ankle sprain that included some ligament damage. Um, that news came out at the end of July. Jason Quick's story uh, illuminates that it was July 15th. It was during a workout in Vegas Um a place where tons of NBA players work out in the summertime and also, uh, Zach Collins hometown. He was playing, uh, maybe ones or whatever he was playing in it in a live setting. And he went up, um, against Andre Drummond, came down and realized right away that he'd really, really hurt his, his left ankle. But the news is, so he hadn't, he hadn't really done anything. Um, since that he we had known that he was he was sort of not um not cleared for contact that he was out he couldn't he couldn't be out on the court doing things without severe ankle sprain he was kind of off his feet injured for a few weeks jason quick reports that uh collins on monday this monday was cleared for contact that's august 19th cleared for contact back on the court doing things um, and, and I think that's an important step just because this is such a big year for Collins. Um, he was in, 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 the article, he talks about how he felt like he was making real strides this year. You know, he was working hard, um, by all accounts, Collins is kind of a gym rat type kid. Um, someone that at least as a rookie, the Blazers coaching staff had to tell him like, please go home. Like, you know, like this is an 82 game season. We hope to play hundred games this year, deep into the playoffs. Please go home and save your, save your body. Even if you're 20 years old. So I think it's been tough for Collins to to um, to not be in the gym, but it's also been tough for him because he has a huge season ahead of him. The Blazers have cleared the decks for him to start at power forward. Um, he They don't really have other a lot of good options behind him at power forward. I guess they have 34-year-old Anthony Tolliver, but if that dude is playing 30-plus minutes a night, the Blazers' season is in trouble. Beyond that, I don't know if they have a true power forward on the roster. I guess Mario Hazonia will play a little bit of power forward potentially Rodney Hood will see time there too but Zach's the guy he's the guy who's going to be the starting power forward the big minute power forward and the the guy that the Blazers have bet on that's why just getting him back is important that's why I want to bring up this news now he'll have now six weeks or so before training camp opens up um you know a little bit longer than that before the season starts on October 23rd the regular season starts and basically exactly two months from the time you're listening to this podcast give him two months to get back into game shape to work on things to continue to add to his game because there are things that that he needs to add to his game and i think just being able to play five on five and play more basketball will help collins uh you know he, he didn't start much of his high school career he was behind uh Two kids who were NBA-type prospects. Neither of them really panned out, Steven Zimmerman and and Chase Jeter. But um, it took him a while to get his... He had to wait his turn, you know, to to start as a high schooler. He didn't start his lone year of college. This is the first time he started since he was a senior in high school. And, you know, the first... he, He just hasn't had many opportunities to be the guy in the way he's going to be asked to be the guy this year. As the, you know the starting power forward and the by far best option at that position. Um, so just him being healthy, him being ready to, give two, to have two months to get himself um, to a point where he can be that guy is going to be important. Uh, one of the things that they talk that Quick talks about in his story, and he um, and, and he's, he quotes Collins discussing a little bit, is that Collins' first three weeks of last season were the best basketball he played. Pretty much all during the regular season, he had some really nice moments in the playoffs. Uh, game six in Portland, uh, in the Denver series, was really nice, and he had some he had some other sort of minor moments. But those first three weeks of the regular season last year, his second in the league uh there were there were moments where Collins looked really special he was averaging double figures he was rebounding he was blocking shots um those you know 15 20 games not even 20 games it was 16 or 17 games where well, he looked like you know this guy's ready and then um he really took a step back, and he regressed for most of the rest of the season, uh, and 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 he just wasn't the same player that they saw in the first uh, fifteen or sixteen games. and And, and quick pauses in the story, and I think Collins kind of directed him this with with the way the interview went, is that maybe it was um, Collins getting in his own head and overthinking things. and 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 um, obviously he's a dude who's who's super emotional and all those things. Collins, that is, <laughs> not Jason, uh, but. Uh, so maybe there is some some truth to that but I I would think moreover that that what isn't entertained in that story and what I would posit is that that 16 game stretch was Collins playing a little bit out of his depth just he's he wasn't that good but for a month for three and a half weeks his shots were falling he wasn't getting he wasn't getting an unlucky whistle all those things but, but I think for me, the larger point isn't, was this a mental problem for Collins or was this sort of like a physical, his you know, limitations of his game type of problems. Analyzing those first three weeks in the context of the largest season should be, we, you don't need to boil it down too far. I, I think the larger point is that Collins is the one who the Blazers are counting on this season, that Collins, that First 16 games, Zach Collins is the one the Blazers are counting up, counting on showing up at the beginning of the season and playing, you know, 80 games at that level. So, whether that was a mental thing where he's sort of uh, building to a point where he can play at that level of consistency, or whether that was a skill thing and he needs these eight weeks healthy to get his game back up to that level and continue to improve so he can do that for 80 games, whether, you know, pick your poison or pick your path. Uh, choose your own adventure on this whether you think it's it's a or b the blazers don't care they just want him to be at his absolute best and ready to go he's healthy enough the opportunities in front of him now we'll see what happens go go check out jason Quick's story i didn't even get to the tip of the iceberg um in fact i, I barely talked about what he wrote about it's a really good one check it out on the athletic all right, third segment. We're going to talk about um, very August NBA stuff. Um, somehow, Carmelo Anthony's name is back in the news. I've avoided this story all summer. It's the middle of it's the end of August. I'm going to touch on it briefly. So stick with me. Before we get there, I want to tell you guys about the new Locked On NFL podcast. It is consistently one of the most listened to NFL shows in the whole pod universe. With expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and hosted by Brian Peacock, Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things football. Follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. All right, welcome back. Still, Lockdown Blazers. Still, Mike Richmond. Still, a past first point guard. Uh, we talked ESPN projections. We talked Zach Collins's health and opportunity. Now we're gonna get into some real off y type stuff. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, the NBA future Hall of Famer, future basketball Hall of Famer, who can't get a job, still somehow refuses to leave the NBA news cycle. Welcome to August, y'all. Here's where it started, and hopefully by the end of this segment, you can. We probably won't reach an end, but you'll reach some sort of conclusion. Uh, Royce White. A guy who was a lottery pick or middle-teens pick of the Rockets um, five years ago is playing in the Big Three, and during an interview with ESPN that was perhaps just promotion for people watching the Big Three, Royce White says that Carmelo Anthony is absolutely being blackballed by the NBA. And here's a quote from White. He's given too much to the game for them not to allow him to play or for them to culturally just make a decision or an agreement that he's not good enough anymore, White said. All of us here who have played a game at the highest level know how good Melo is, and we know that there's no way that the Lakers would go out and sign Jared Dudley and not sign Carmelo Anthony. White continued. Another question is why a guy like LeBron is walking around like... hear like he's the face and voice of the players and how is he letting his banana boat buddy wait out there in the wings and they go sign jared dudley and not carmelo anthony if anybody's watching this thinks that jared dudley can hold carmelo anthony's jockstrap i'll slap them i don't know how jared dudley got caught in the fray but that's how it went down y'all jared dudley of course responded on twitter he said this isn't a mellow verse myself the man is a first ballot Hall of Famer. We all want to see him back in the league. Roy seems uninformed when he speaks and this situation and calling my name out. This league is not about who's better than who. It's what players make for the best team. Jared Dudley, who is an incredibly good quote, and I am a member of the media who appreciates a good quote, is right here. Carmelo Anthony's resume speaks for itself: fifteen plus seasons in the league, an eleven-time All-Star, a one-time scoring champ, a you know a three-time Olympic gold medalist. If you're into that type of thing, and someone who will absolutely be in the NBA or in the Basketball Hall of Fame. But like Jared Dudley's right, the reason that Carmelo isn't on a team is because. He's a special case. It's hard for superstars to become role players. It's much easier for Jared Dudley, a longtime role player, to continue to be a high level role player. In Oklahoma City, Carmel Anthony wasn't very good. I'm not going to bust you with the numbers, I just don't care enough to look them up. And in Houston, where he had a very brief experiment last year, he became the scapegoat for a team that was struggling, but he also wasn't very good when he played. And more than that, he's 35 years old. This would be his 16th season in the league if he would come back. There is a point when players just aren't good enough anymore, and it's not worth the risk. And with Mello, it's some of it is is there is some truth to some of it is sort of narrative based. You know, he had some. Trouble fitting in with um, the Knicks when he first got there. Obviously, before getting to the Knicks, he forced his way out of Denver. Um, I, I don't think there was any reported beef with him in OKC, but he w- he just didn't. He just wasn't that good playing for them, particularly in high leverage situations in the playoffs. Um, he was kind of unplayable. And certainly that's um, a tough pill to swallow for someone who has been as good for as long as Melo has. And then again, back with D'Antoni, a guy he kind of beefed with, beefed with in New York. This was supposed to be the place where they got along in Houston, and they never got along again. So like I said, some of it's maybe narrative-based. Maybe he has a reputation of uh, of a employee that is difficult to deal with. And when you are thinking about, what do I want to add to the end of my bench, because to be clear, Carmelo Anthony is not an NBA starter at this point. He would be someone who would play. He would come off the bench and be a contributor in a role type situation. When you are making decisions about who do I want to add to the end of my bench, it is probably someone who won't be, won't bring a lot of media attention. Um, someone who will be comfortable with a reduced role. Someone who um, maybe doesn't come with the baggage of being a difficult employee. Carmelo Anthony. I've never, I've never really, uh, I've maybe asked him two questions in in my lifetime as a media member, but I've never been around him for any extended period of time. So most of this is just from outside looking in. But the, the you know if 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 that's the reputation he has, it's probably gonna it's probably gonna keep teams away. And also, I just want to go back to this one more time. He's thirty five. How many dudes at thirty five are still worth taking a flyer on? Um, Jared Dudley is better than Carmelo Anthony right now. That's not a hot take. That's a fact. But what I will say, two more things before I get out of here, is one, Carmelo Anthony has fans like Royce White everywhere, including Portland's own Damian Lillard, who on July 29th tweeted, hashtag vote for Mello farewell season, hashtag stop playing Mello. And then on August 2nd, three days later, Yusuf Nurkic, also of the Portland Trailblazers, you may have heard of him, tweeted, hashtag free Mello. This isn't that uncommon. Um, dude's been in the league a long time. Uh, has friends around the league, and they probably want to see their see someone who's you know a, a vet who they came up watching get the type of farewell tour that other vets have been afforded. Um, you kind of earn that role. You earn that in special ways, uh, Dirk and Kobe by playing for one team, Uh, Dwayne Wade for going back to the team that he was longest tenured on. Um, Mello maybe burned that bridge with the way things ended in New York. Uh, There was some reports that if the Knicks had signed uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that maybe they also would have added mellow to that mix um like i said you just for a guy who's been a superstar you kind of need the right roster for him he's not the type of guy that a young bad team should take a flyer on because he doesn't have much potential he's not known as this sort of like great mentor dude and he probably wants to be in a place where he has the chance to compete you if you're a team that's not going to compete mellow's kind of off the list also if you're a team that's trying to compete you would need a sort of specific we need a power forward who can score type of spot for him But the Knicks chose, you know, the Knicks, for a variety of reasons, maybe chose not to give Mellow that farewell tour. And I'll close with this anecdote. This mellow thing makes me think of the life cycle, the NBA life cycle of a guy like Chris Kamen. A one-time All-Star who in his twelfth NBA season was a regular contributor on a a good Blazers team that made the playoffs. They were he was, you know, their seventh man or sixth man, depending on how you feel about it, on a team that was a 50-win team that made the playoffs. I think they won 54 games that year. In year 13, he picked up his player option, but before he did that, the Blazers made it clear if you come back, you are not going to play. You are not part of the regular playing rotation. And Chris Kamen said, cool that's good with me, showed up to training camp mostly out of shape and acted as an assistant coach playing less than 20 games during the regular season. I kind of think that self-awareness that Kamen had that said, I'm good enough to play but the, this team doesn't want me to is unique and that that is the type of energy, the type of approach that Melo would have to have to stick in the league. He laughed in OKC two years ago when someone suggested that he would come off the bench. And I think he probably bristled when he was getting a reduced role and having Gary Clark play over him in Houston. Some guys, and obviously Kamen is not on the level of Anthony, but some guys are wired to be like Chris Kamen and turn into mentors. Some guys are wired to say, I want a farewell tour, I'm still a star. It's easier to add Chris Caimans to the roster. It's not easy to add the Mellows. I don't think he's being blackballed. I think there's a lot of factors. I laid them out. If you think he's being blackballed, tweet at me, at Mike Rich. The other favor you can do is tell your friends about the, this podcast. Tell them they can find Lockdown Blazers wherever they get podcasts. That's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. There'll be more August news coming. I'll deliver it to you as I hear it. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.